I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like, and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com, and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online here at Life Church Utah. God bless. How many of you excited to get into God's Word? All right. I'm excited for that too. Uh, if you didn't know already, I'm Eric. I'm the youth and young adults pastor. So I like excitement. I think this should be exciting. I, I think we it should, should have some energy. Church shouldn't be boring, right? Come on. How, let, now, since I'm the youth and young adult pastor, any youth or young adults out there? Okay. All right, just making sure you were there. So um, uh, we invited the youth to come over and hang out. We'd usually be in a service of our own right across the parking lot right now, but they're going to be hanging out with us in here. And uh, I am so, so excited, really. I'm very excited. Did I say I was excited? I think I'm a little excited to talk about this little subject right here. Life is better together because I believe it is so good. It's so true. And some of you are already arguing with me in your head because you're like that. You're like, you just argue with the preacher in your head. It's okay, I do the same thing. I'm like, mm, is that true? I don't know about that. But that's okay. That's okay. Life is better together. And I believe that to be just so true. And, and you're probably wondering already, I, I don't know, bro. Like some of the people I have to hang out with or that I'm forced to be around, it's not better. I'm telling you, I'd rather be by myself or with a million other people. And some of you are like, yeah, but don't look next to you right now, okay? This is the wrong, wrong time to look next to you. Just saying. And, uh, but isn't it true? Let, let, me, let me try to argue with you a little bit. But isn't it true that when something truly wonderful happens in your life, or you experience like this beautiful side, or something awesome goes on in your life, then immediately you want to share it with someone special to you, don't you? Because it, it kind of completes the joy. It becomes better when you share it with someone. As an example, my son Jack, okay, so two years old, and he's learning something new every day. I feel like um, all sorts of weird faces and expressions and doing new things. He hits harder now. Like someone we wrestle, I'm like, ow. I mean, it kind of hurt, but I can't tell him it hurt. And so I got to like hold, because then if he sees me like, ow, and then he thinks he did something wrong and he gets all sad and doesn't want to wrestle anymore. But th he makes these like funny expressions. So recently I growl at him when we wrestle. It's kind of, I know it's weird, but like I growl, like I go, you know, and I get him. And then he, now he started doing this where he, he kind of like puts his neck down like over his shoulders and he goes, and I love it. It cracks me up. And Melissa's like, stop teaching our son how to growl. And I'm like, it's so funny, though. I love it. Anyway, but immediately when he does something like that, I'm like, look, Melissa, did you see what Jack did? Or, hey, look real quick. And then she misses it because, like, she didn't look fast enough. Or maybe that's me. And then also it's kind of funny on the flip side when he does something not so sweet. I'm like, that's your kid, Melissa. Is, you know, but not really. Um, so, but we want to share things like that with someone else, or I go on a drive through the mountains, and we're getting ready to go into driving season, right, where you see all the leaves color, uh, uh, the leaves changing color, that's what I'm trying to say, and uh, you look out, and you go, oh, beautiful sight, but it's not very much fun, it, it's like so, the joy of it is so diminished when I'm not on the drive with Melissa, where I can enjoy it with her, so life 
is better together, I would suggest. And Andy Stanley, in his book, Deep and Wide, he explains how God often works to accomplish his purposes through the church. This is his plan. He wants to work through the church to accomplish his purposes in the world, but he oftentimes does it in spite of the church. In spite of the church. What he means, I think, by that is that we have a variety of ways of doing church, right? Some of you maybe come from a more traditional background, maybe even more charismatic background, maybe whatever. Maybe you've never been in church at all, and you're like, okay, this is all brand new. I have nothing to compare it to. But, you know, we, we do church in a variety of different ways, and some of which are not very beneficial. They don't accomplish God's purpose very well. Um, how many of you got saved in a church? You don't have to raise your hand. You got like maybe saved in a church that it was gross. Like you walked in and it smelled terrible. You're like, what died under this altar? Because that is, wow. But you know what? You were weeping and sobbing all over it because God touched your life there. He worked in spite of something, a part of that church. And, and I'm not saying we have it all together. God works in spite of me every week, I'm fairly certain, because I get in the way. But he works in spite of us because of his love, because this is his way of working in the world. He works through people and in spite of people's weaknesses many times to accomplish his purposes because of his love for the world. But what if, the question then becomes, what if the church and its culture more aligned with God's purposes so that he didn't have to work in spite of us quite as much? You know, what if he worked through our culture and programs to accomplish his purposes? And then the question becomes, well, how much more might get done? How much further might we go? Where would the church be if we were in line with how God wanted to work through the church, its culture, and its programs? And so... The question is, well, what things do that, Eric? Okay, I'm following, I'm tracking. What things do that? Well, Andy Stanley says this, is that one of those things is this thing called providential relationships. Providential relationships where it's almost as though God has put you around that specific group of people for a specific set of time, for a, a certain season, just so that God can use them to speak to you, so that God can put certain things together in your life where you're like, whoa, I would have never experienced that without these relationships. The place, providential relationships, is a place where the big group feels small. It's a place where we get out of the rows and we get in circles because rows don't know one another, but circles do. It's a place where you can truly be known and someone really truly knows you. Now, I know what we do, right? You know, some of us, um, we've got the Sunday routine down and, you know, you're driving to work and your kids are, are not driving to work, you're driving to church. Sorry, this is church. And we're, you know, you're driving to church, and, and uh, you know, you, you, just, you didn't get a good night's sleep. The, the kids are pushing your buttons because they know what buttons to push. I know. Trust me. And uh, you, they hang out with me on Sundays over there. They know what buttons to push. And, and, uh, and you're like, oh. And you come in here, and you're supposed to worship God. And as soon as you walk into those doors, you're like, hey, how you doing? What's up? Hey, brother. Hey, sister. How are you? Oh, I'm so wonderful. Bless. You know, I'm so blessed. And you're thinking, I don't know what about, but I'm blessed. And, you know, you, you, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to, like, knock that. But you need a space, right? Don't we need a space where at least a handful of people really know you? They know your body language. They know when something's going on. And they can pray for you. They can talk to you about it. They can lift you up. They can be like, hey, you know what? Let's go through this together because life shouldn't be done alone. Let's do it 
together. Life should be done together because it's better together. I'm going to say that probably about a million times in this message. Life is better together. And so for the next several weeks, the best place I can think to do that is life groups. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what life groups are, how to be a part of them. We're going to be encouraging you to either open up your home to host a group. Maybe it's to lead a group, you know, just facilitate discussion, or maybe just to be a part of a group. And so you can be signing up for those things in the coming weeks, and we encourage you to do that. But my goal this morning is really just to show you how biblically rooted this idea of providential relationships really is. It's not just like, oh, we need one more thing on the calendar, or we got to do this campaign. Well, what should we do the campaign for? Well, let's do life groups. Yeah, well, we get to people together in homes to you know, talk about some questions and eat food together. No, we, we're not just trying to come up with something to put on your calendar or be like, I don't know what else to do. This is a biblically rooted idea, and it's so, so important. And if we're going to be a church that's really growing and has more of a vibrant faith, like Andy Stanley says, where we're going to line up with how God wants to work through the church, then doing life together really becomes quite important. So let me show you some of that. And the first one, the first point that we're going to see here is the one another's. You'll see it come up on the screen. And I'm going to give you kind of a rapid fire scripture references here to show you just how, uh, m- how many times the one another shows up in scripture all the time. One person said it like this, that the, if you were to take all the New Testament commands and put them all in one lump sum, and you were to start to categorize them, he said that two-thirds of them would break down to where they have to do with how we treat one another within the church, the body of Christ. Two-thirds of the New Testament commands have to do with how we treat one another. And you go, all the skeptics in the room are like, I don't know about that. Is that really true? Well, I did a little bit of digging myself, and I'm inclined to think that it's really quite true. Okay, here comes the rapid fire. Are you ready? Okay, (laughs) I thought I was alone in the room for a minute. All right, love one another shows up again and again and again, as does encourage one another. I didn't want to take time to write those out because we'd be here for a long time. All right, love one another and encourage one another shows up over and over and over again. Serve one another in love, Galatians 5.13. Carry each other's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. That one's a hard one. Some people are hard to bear with. But it's, he says, be patient. Be bearing with one another. Um, In just a couple of chapters in the letter to the Romans, we see uh, this one another concept show up several times. In chapter 12, verse 5, we all belong to each other. Chapter 12, verse 9, don't pretend to love others, really love them. Whew. Don't pretend to love them, really love them, you know? But yeah, 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 that's okay to clap for that, you know, because that's cool. But the rest of us are like, I don't like to, you know, anyway. um, It's it's hard, but we have to create margin for that. We have to create space for that to take place. Otherwise, you know, there will always be a little bit of that element. We have to create space for that, and that's why this life group thing is really quite important. Uh, love each other with genuine affection, outdoing each other in honor. Chapter 12, verse 10. Help God's people and practice hospitality. 12, 13. Live in harmony with each other. 12, 16. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. 12, 18. And accept each other as Christ has accepted you. Chapter 15, verse 7 in Romans. So we see it a lot. 
But the place where I want to land, where I want us to kind of do some digging uh, together a little bit is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. We're going to land there for just a moment here and, and see this one another concept pop up. Let me read it. You can follow along on the screen on the Sky Bible if you'd like. And it says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with, with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Now, you see the first part. Really, you could take this little paragraph and you could break it up into two sections, really. And the first section, you see it. He asks all these questions, right? And now he doesn't ask the questions because he doesn't know the answer to them. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point by asking these questions because the implied answer is, well, duh, yeah, of course I have. That's what he's trying to set it up. He's trying to help you and I and the Philippians, for that matter, see the point before he even gets there is what he's trying to do. So he goes, is there any encouragement, any comfort from his love, fellowship in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? has, Has any of this happened in your life because of your relationship to Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, everybody say then. Then something should happen because of that relationship to Christ. Then... Make me truly happy, agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together. See the point that he's trying to make? This should be an overflow of your relationship to Jesus. You say, oh, I love Jesus. I've received all of those things. But if it hasn't overflowed out of your life to where you do these things at the end, then you haven't really experienced it the way that you ought to have because it should overflow into you doing these things as the body of Christ to where you love one another, you work together, you agree wholeheartedly, and you're like, well, there's a lot of things I don't agree with. I know we're not, like, but what he's talking about, I think he's saying is that, you know what, you, you move your preferences aside for the things that are really important, for the sake of love. All of these things have to do with one another, so another person, so you could say it like this, you could, you could, you could say, your relationship to Christ is fleshed out by your relationship to other people. The way it gets fleshed out is in your relationships to other people. And you say, well, Eric, I can do that without life groups. I don't have to be a part of a life group to do that. Well, I just, I don't think that that's really true, you know? And you might be able to do it on small scale in small ways on a Sunday or Wednesday, but really you've got to get to the place where you do life together in a group like that um, for for this to really happen. Let me show you some stats. This is really... Um, you're going to be statted out after this. There's only six of them, okay? So you can count as we go through. But they're really important. And it's from this, it was yet, at least a couple years ago, it was the biggest research project yet done on group life which in the church. So they did this study of small groups in churches. And uh, they published it called, in, a, in a study called Transformational Groups. And uh, they asked certain questions of these people who are both involved in life groups and, and not involved in life groups and asked them how, how you know, they kind of did a percentage of how many people answered affirmatively, affirmatively to this question, you know, in either group. So let me share some of them with you. The first one is, I intentionally make time in my schedule to interact in fellowship with other believers, 
Group attendees, those who are part of a life group, 77% said yes. While non-attendees, only 34% said yes. I intentionally spend time with other believers to help them grow in their faith. Now, what is that question getting at? It's getting at discipleship. How, how many of us intentionally make disciples? We build that into our time where we're making disciples of other people. And last time I checked, that was still a pretty big deal because before Jesus ascended to heaven, what did he say? Make disciples of all people, right? That's what he said before he ascended into heaven. And so we all, not just pastors or leaders in here, it's kind of the job of every Christian, right, to be a part of doing that. Here's how many people who are involved in groups said yes to that. I, I do that. 63% who are involved in groups, while only 22% not involved in groups could say yes to that. Now, could you imagine if we, you were to go to any church and you did just a little study of how healthy they were, and only 22% of that church was making disciples on, of, of their own initiative? you know, making disciples, that would be a rather unhealthy church, wouldn't it? Number three, I have developed significant relationships with people at my church. 89% of people in group life said yes, while only 57% who were not involved in a group could say yes to that. I, intention, I am intentionally putting my spiritual gifts to use, serving God and others. They're, 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 Stepping out of the fringe and, and going into what God has for them to do. You know, getting their hands dirty, doing the work. 73% of those involved in groups could say yes, while only 42% of those not involved in groups could say yes. Number five, I intentionally try to get to know new people at my church. How many of you remember your first time ever going to church? All right. You remember how awkward and weird it felt? You were like, oh man, all these people seem to know what to do, and I have no clue what's going on right now. Okay, well that, yeah, but that wouldn't be quite so weird if you had someone to come alongside you, right, to be like, hey, here's what's going on. Hey, let me introduce you to some people. Hey, here, let's go get a cup of coffee. You know what I'm saying? How much better would it have been if you'd had that person that could have been there with you? And that only happens when you, all of us, we're, we're reaching out to people I don't know. Oh, man, I don't know that person. Okay, I'll go introduce myself. That's, but apparently that doesn't happen if, if we don't have life groups. We don't have people who have learned to do that in life group. Um, and then the last one is this. Throughout the day, I find myself thinking about biblical truths, which is to say that it's not just a Sunday thing for them. It's not just a Sunday or Wednesday, and then they're completely different people when they leave this room. No, God is starting to work on them. Even while they're at their job, they're typing on their computer and they're thinking about biblical truths. How many people do that? Well, 74% of people who are involved in group life do that, while only 45% of people not involved in groups could say yes to that. It's a pretty big gap on each one of those, wouldn't you say? Pretty big gap between these two people. So we're seeing that this is really quite important. And the question for me when I see those stats is I go, Man, why is it that these people seem to have so, such a more robust and deeper Christianity than the others? And then it dawns on me that you can only go so far by yourself, and that's why. Yeah. You can only go so far while you're sitting in a row. You can have as much doctrine in your head as you can jam in there, but it's only going to go so far until you start um, working it out with other people and working it out relationally with other people, uh, applying all of that doctrine that you've got in your head. 
you can only go so far by yourself. In fact, I would, I would venture to say that you can't get to know God, really. You can't really get to know God by yourself. Because it takes the whole body of Christ for the whole body of Christ to grow. It takes everybody. You don't get to do it by yourself. It's a body thing. It's not just a you thing. So it takes the whole body of Christ for the whole body of Christ to grow. So we want to see Life Church grow in its depth of understanding and its depth of trust in the Lord. Well, then this becomes really quite important to do life together. And we know this to be true. Let me even show you an example on the human level, okay? On the human level, we know this to be true as well. So let me give, I'll play out the example like this with some of our youth leader names, okay? Some of you might know them, but you still get the point even if you don't know them, okay? Uh, Mike Hansen, if he's one of our youth leaders. If, if Mike wasn't there, all right, if, if he and I weren't, you know, we're buddies and we love to geek out and talk theology, it's awesome. But then if he wasn't there anymore, I'd miss Mike. That would be a bummer. There are certain things that I get from him that I probably won't get from anybody else. But if he wasn't there, check out, check it out. Here's what else happens. Not only do I miss out on him, but I miss out on the part of Johnny that only Mike can bring out. I miss out on the part of Johnny, and I miss out on the part of, of Emilio, and I miss out uh, that only Mike can bring out of those people. So you see what happens? Now I'm missing a lot more than just Mike. Or if Melissa, my wife, wasn't there, we'd all miss her because everyone's like, man, you shouldn't do ministry by yourself. That would be a bum deal. And, you know, so like, but not only would I miss Melissa, I'd be like wandering in circles. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Oh, somebody help me. Anyway, so I need my wife, but not only would we miss Melissa, but I'd miss the part of Natasha that only Melissa can bring out. And see, the same principle, I guess, applies to our relationship to God. Same thing. When you get into a group, when you're in a life group, there's going to be something that someone else brings up or sees in a certain way that you didn't see because they're wired differently than you and they have different lenses or worldview or experiences than you've had. And it's beautiful. They'll say something. You'll go, whoa, I never thought of that before. Oh, man, that so encouraged me. And what if they weren't there to encourage you? Oh, oh or better yet, you need to be there and God used somebody else because you weren't there. <laughs> you missed out on the blessing of being able to be the hand of God to encourage or uplift or to show something to someone else. But God was like, you're not there. I had to use, I had to use Mildred, like Pastor Bob would say. You know, it's like, you, you miss out on that. And you might say, well, Eric, I don't get very much out of life groups. I've been a part of life groups before, and it's not for me. I don't get very much out of it. Can I just say to that because... We, not just with life groups, I mean, you, you might say that with a lot of things. And most of the reasons to be a part of it do not have to do with what you get out of it. Most of the reasons to be a part of it have to do with what you give to contribute to be a part of it. And can I just go on my little, my little rant here? Okay, you can put it in your notes. Eric's rant right here. Okay, here's, here's my, my rant is this, is that we at some point in the Western church, not just Life Church, but the church in the West, has to get past this whole like consumer mentality when it comes to church where we're like, oh, I don't like the carpet there. Oh, I don't like the music. It's too loud. It's too quiet. They use haze. I don't like the haze. It makes it feel like a you know, concert or, or, or you know what? 
And I know, I get that, that we all have preferences. I have my own preferences. I, I understand that. But at some point, we've got to get past like the, the preferential to go for the thing that's really important to where we're not just going, oh, they didn't do it the way I like it. I'm going to go to the church down the street. And, and you know what? Just to clue you in, they're not going to do it the way you like it either. After a while, they're going to push your buttons. You know, They're not going to be deep enough or they're going to be too deep or you don't know any of the words or something like that. You, so there's always going to be those things, but we've got to get past that place where we're just consumer mentality and we go beyond just my preference to how can I love other people? How can I share my life with other people to see them grow? Because isn't that the point? You know, like when, when you boil it down, don't, don't you just want to see people discipled and reached? People reached and discipled? And this goes for leading or hosting a group as well. Um, Maybe you need to open up your home to be a host. Maybe you need to uh, step out into that role of leading a group, and you're going, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. It's going to cost me. They're going to trash my house. You know what? It will always cost you. Every time I have students over to my house, okay, they leave, and then I go, I'm going to bed. I ain't even doing it. I'm not messing with this because there's cups everywhere. There's like somebody had a spill. There's red spot on my carpet. There's something over here. I don't even know what it is, but it's kind of weird and smells funky. And then I, I see like 10 students on my couch when it's only meant for four. And then I look over at my kitchen table and there's literally a girl sitting cross-legged on my kitchen table. And I'm like, what are you doing? That kitchen table, like, did your mama, there's a, she taught you to sit in chairs. There's a chair right there, but no, she wanted to sit. And all of that is a true story, okay? I'm not making this up. It will always cost you something, but it's so worth it. So worth it. I love being able to see my living room destroyed for the glory of God because then I go, you know what? This house wasn't mine anyway. It was God's. He gave it to me, so I get to spend it for his purposes, and I get to go, yeah, that's awesome. You know what? God accomplished something tonight in these students, and I, I'm excited to see the aftermath of that. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to get to, where we're so concerned about the temporal, where it's like, oh, my house, or oh, my time, or oh, it's not convenient. You know what? Let's be eternal-minded people. Can we get that? Because I don't, wanna, I don't know about you, I don't want to stand before God one day and have to account for how I spent my time, and I did not have it line up with, my, with the eternal perspective, where I was wasting my time on things that didn't matter, you know? So um, there's my rant for you, Eric's rant completed in the notes. All right, number two. I'm going to start going faster, okay? Number two, not only should our relationship to Jesus lead to one another, but it should lead to a fierce love for one another. A fierce love for one another. Let me show you in Romans chapter 14, verses 14 through 15. You can follow along on the screen. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. He's like, I'm convinced of that. No food is wrong to eat. They lived in a different culture. We're like, what? You know, he's talking from a Jewish perspective of certain foods were unclean. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love. You're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Now you're like, Eric, what does that have to to do with fiercely loving one another. Did you catch it? Did you catch the love part where he said, you know what, you're not acting in love if you eat? Here's what he's talking about. 
He's talking about that you should love people, you should love the other believers in this room to the point that you are willing to withhold your own rights that are even good, even a perfectly good right that you have to do something. But if it's going to cause another believer who believes that thing to be wrong to stumble and you do it anyway, you are not acting in love. That's, this is amazing. And here's the question that comes to me as I go, who else lives like that other than the church? This is a wonderful way for God to demonstrate the community of believers and what it, what it means to come to know him to the world because they will not do that. And this is, I know this is hard for some of you because we're very rights-oriented people here in America, aren't we? We're like all about our freedom. I got my rights, Eric. I got them. Don't you try and take my rights. I'm not trying to take your rights, but God is, okay? And, and, and he gave them to you. So God said, withhold for the sake of love. That's you putting the other person first rather than, than saying, well, I can, and it's right. Man, that's not how, yeah, it might be okay, but you just blew it with that other person right there, you know? So let's, let's, do, let's do that. And what better way to demonstrate to that or to practice this than in life groups where you're actually doing life together, where you get to know people, where they really know you and you really know them. And, and it, sure, it doesn't happen overnight. It might take you all of six weeks to maybe get there with a few people, but you will finally have gotten there with some people, you know? Number three, this love is a love that accepts people where they are, but doesn't leave them where they are. Accepts people where they are, but doesn't leave them where they are. And here's how you can do this. It's because Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. All of that stuff that kept you from him or all that stuff that, you know, it's like, oh, you look back and you're like, man, I was, oh, I can't believe I did that. So he loved you where you were, but didn't leave you there. Let me show you something in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And this is a really an interesting interaction that Paul is writing about to the church in Galatia because it's, this time, and I don't know if I can think of another time, there might be, where one apostle confronts another apostle. It's really kind of interesting. And they have this interaction that Paul's talking about, and I think that we can learn, I think we can learn a lot about how we should view one another from this, from this passage. So you can follow along on the screen. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For he did what was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents later. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So he began to act differently because he was afraid of criticism from other people. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas, who was Paul's companion, was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Did you catch what happened? It's kind of interesting. Now, Paul could have confronted Peter 
in a way and said like, he could have gone to Peter and been like, stop being a racist, Peter. You, can't, you shouldn't be a racist Jew against these Gentiles just because they're not Jews like you. you can't, and, and he could have gone on that whole kick of why he shouldn't be a racist or something like that. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, do you see how he confronted Peter? He confronted him on the basis of the gospel. The gospel that says, no, no, we're all equally sinners. We're all equally condemned if we were left to ourselves. We're all pretty broken and jacked up people. And if you don't, just evaluate your heart. You're like, well, no, Eric, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Well, what if I were to throw your heart up on the screen for everybody to see? I bet you wouldn't think that then. I wouldn't think that of myself. I know. I'm, I'm, you know so we're all equally condemned. We're all equally broken. But we're all then also equally saved and become children of God to the point that you wear all of Jesus' medals as if as if you had done everything that he did he switched places with you he took all of your bro- brokenness and junk and and now you wear his medals and so you see what he does to peter based on that he says to peter stop holding on to something that you shouldn't hold on to why are you trying to make them fulfill certain requirements you're just as broken as they are you don't get to not associate with them based on your jewishness you're just as broken as they are. So, in your life group, you don't get the right to say that you're too good for anybody in this room. You don't get the right to say, oh, they're not my sort of people. Um, you don't get to say, I'm more educated, so I can't hang out with them. Oh, I have more money, I'm more affluent, so I can't hang out with them. And, you know, I, we don't talk the same sorts of language. The same things don't interest us, students. Okay, now I'm kind of talking to you. You don't get to say, oh, they're not my athletic group. They're not my prep group. They're not my, you know, whatever. You don't get to say that because we're all equally broken, all equally saved the same, way, the same way. You didn't perform anything for God to be like, oh, you're special. I have to have you a part of my team. You, you, you're, you're not a part of God's team because you were awesome. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's because God rescued you and captured your affections and freed you from all of your sin and your brokenness. So do you see how the gospel, it's not elementary. It has implications. It sends out these lines into your life that now, now Paul is saying to Peter, see, Peter, you're, you're, the way you're living right now doesn't line up with the gospel. Does your attitude at work line up with the gospel? Does the way you treat your family line up with the gospel? See how it all comes back to the gospel every time. And so, so much so, now that the gospel creates this new social order, so much so that the, commu- the world should take notice of what takes place in the church because they bring together all of these groups of people that the world doesn't know how to do that. The world does not bring these types of groups of people together. In the world, everyone stays in their own like little binary group where it's like, this, this is who we are. This is our thing. This is what we do. But in the church, you get like pierced up people together with old people. You get kids and old people, you get uneducated and educated all together. And it's like this big mashup of people and they all love Jesus. And it's kind of crazy how they love one another. And the world should be blown away. And this only happens when we do life together. So if I were to conclude and invite Stephen back up just to place awfully um, behind me for a moment. I just want to conclude with some thoughts for you to consider, okay, as it relates to this message. Maybe you, you know you need to be a leader or a host. Maybe God's kind of prompting that in your heart and pricking your heart. You, you know you need to open up your home or you need to lead a group or you need to finally jump on board and just be a part this year. 
but you're hesitant because of the sacrifice that might be required. Can I just tell you that discipleship, when you're really doing it, what God's called us to do, it's never convenient. It's never convenient. It's always going to cost you something. It's always going to uh, infringe on you know, the plans that you had. Do you know how many times people just kind of show up at my house and they're like, hey, I wanted to hang out and see if you're home. Yeah, I'm home, but I guess I'm not going anywhere now. You know, it's like, that's, but it's so worth it every time. Every time that happens, it's never convenient. It will always cost you. And maybe I could just say this as well, is that where there's no courage, there's also no sacrifice. Where there's no sacrifice, there's no courage. I think I said it wrong the first time, actually. <laughs> you would, I don't know anyone that doesn't want to be a courageous person. Everybody wants to be a bold and courageous person. But if you want to be and, and you want to act on courage, then it's going to require something of you. But I would just encourage you again to be eternal-minded, not temporal-minded. Don't be concerned with the things that are just here and now. Think bigger than that. You know what? Because this life is so short. If we're going to like compare it to eternity, think about how long, if I were to take a rope of how long eternity is and then put a little red mark on the line, on the rope, where this life is right here, it'd be just this little blip on the radar. Let's live for the eternal. And maybe you're thinking, oh, do I have to? So introverted, though. Very, very little joy comes ever in life from saying, do I have to? Do you remember the last time you said, do I have to do something? Do you remember how much fun you had when you said, oh, do I have to? Zero, right? You didn't have any fun at all because you were thinking the whole time, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. This is stupid, whatever, you know? But what if you flipped it around, you changed your perspective, and you were like, no, God's given me an opportunity here to uplift somebody else or to serve somebody else or to open up my home for somebody. I think that that would change our perspective just a little bit. If we, if we saw it that way, instead of saying, do I have to? And maybe, maybe you, the way you spend your time, it's not consistent with the gospel. Maybe if you were to evaluate your time, or if Paul, the apostle, were to come and confront you instead of Peter, what would he say of how you spend your time? Would he say that it's consistent with the gospel? Does, does it show that you're wanting to disciple others when you, when you look at your time, how you spend it, or is it all spent on you for what you want to do, what you're all about? Maybe the way you view others. Maybe even in this room, sometimes you come in on Sunday and you go, man, I can't believe they come to church. Or, you know, something like that. Or, you know, I know what they're like when they're not here. Or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Whatever it is. Maybe, maybe the way you view other people in this room, it's not consistent with loving Jesus. You say you love Jesus. You say he's rescued you, and, and I didn't earn it. I, I'm not awesome. God just rescued me. It's not because I was special. But does your life really show that then? Are you too good, are you too good for some people? You know, Are you too smart for some people? Whatever it might be. It's not consistent with loving Jesus. And I can't talk about us applying the gospel in our lives and doing it together without talking to another group of people in this room who... Who, who maybe you're here and you go, Eric, you're talking about the gospel and coming from an old life to a new life and how Jesus frees you from your junk and how he's everything. And I don't get that. I don't know God. I, I, I wish I did. Maybe in this room, I just want to give you an opportunity to receive the gospel and say, I'm tired of doing it my own way. I want to worship God. And you're like, 
Worship's kind of a churchy term, right? It's kind of a Christian term. But everybody worships something. Everybody gives their life to something. Everybody lives for something. And the reason we do that is because we're all on this quest to have our lives have the stamp of approval that said that our life was worth living. Our life was meaningful. It meant something. And so we try to find that in a, in a husband or wife. Maybe we try to find it in our kids. Maybe we try to find it in a job or money or maybe the next car or the next house. Or, you know, if I only had, then I'd be happy. And you're searching for the stamp of approval on your life and you're not going to find it outside of your creator because anything that was made for, you know, anything that's made, it doesn't function outside of its purpose, you know? Have you ever tried to nail in a screw? It doesn't work very good, you know? But as soon as you try to nail in a nail, it works because it's functioning in its purpose. So what if you functioned in your purpose and you stopped worshiping and chasing after other things that trying to make your life worth living rather than coming to the maker who says, you know what, I'm going, I, I, you can't clean yourself up. There's nothing you could do. You're broken and jacked up. But you know what? I'm going to enter into the world 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. God breaks into creation and he lives the life that you should have lived and dies the death that, that you should have died. And he switched places with you and he gives you all of his righteousness and takes all of your junk and he gives you that stamp of approval on your life that it's worth living now because now it's connected to your creator, which you cannot find on your own. So it just takes you finally going, okay, Jesus, I'm done worshiping other things. I'm done chasing after other things. I'm done with going after all of the stuff that that sin just wrecks my life. I'm tired of playing in the street where I'm going to get hit by a car. I want to come into the yard where you've designed for me to come. You've just got to ask him. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.